Here is Pastor Ed Taylor with some good news you can use. Maybe some of you are here today. Some of you are listening in on the radio. Some of you are listening in on the internet or downstairs on one of the TVs. You need a second chance today. Your marriage is falling apart. Your life is in tatters. You've made some very wrong decisions that have led you down a path that you're just not happy with. Maybe you find yourself addicted to drugs or you're a drunk and an alcoholic. Maybe you're involved in a very sexually immoral lifestyle or you're in a gang. Maybe you're doing none of these things. But when you look at life, you don't like the course of your life is taking. And you're saying, you know, it's too late. Look how far I've gone. It's too late for change. I'm here to tell you today, it's not too late to change. But you can't do it on your own. This is amazing grace. It is great to have you along today as we bring you another study from the Gospel of John here on Abounding Grace. John 3.16 is perhaps the best known verse in the Bible. It perfectly capsulizes the gospel message of the redemption of man by Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. God did it all because he loves us. What a great verse to study. And we'll look at the verses immediately after it as well. With a message titled, God Gives Second Chances, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Take your Bibles, would you open them to John's Gospel, Chapter 3. We are studying through the Gospel of John together, and we are making great progress. John, Chapter 3. You know, I was thinking about it. It seems like everyone loves the underdog. You, you really want to see, don't you, those struggling those that are undervalued, those that are underrated, those that tend to be forgotten. You want them to win. You want them to catch a break. You want them to overcome. It's, it's an amazing thing that God would give us a desire to help someone along the way, to get them moving forward. You want to see unfairness corrected. You want to see injustice be made right. You want to see the down and out lifted up. And even because of the Christian roots of our country, of our nation. We love to see those that have fallen and failed get back up. Just like the Bible says, though a man falls seven times, he will rise again. And that's always a glorious thing to see in people's lives. To say, come on, get back up. It's oh, get back in the race. Uh, there aren't many. I've met a few, but not many. Most people don't like to see the enemy fail. You know, the Bible actually says in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Or Jesus would put it this way, Luke's gospel, chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those that spitefully use you. I think I could speak for all of us, but I'll wait for you to agree with me. Don't we believe in the God of the second chance? 
Let's say it together. Do we, yes or no? Do we believe in the God of the second chance? Yes, yes, we do. We've met, haven't we? So many of us. We have met personally the God of the second chance. We proclaim to a lost and dying world, people walking around with pains and traumas and sorrows and difficulties, we proclaim to them the grace and the mercy of the God of the second chance. Now think about it this way. Wouldn't it be great if you could just start all over again? Maybe not entirely, but in some pieces of your life. I mean, we've all done things that we wish we hadn't done. And we've all said things that we wish we hadn't said. I mean, think about it. Have you ever had that that slow motion moment when words are coming out of your mouth and you're watching them come out of your mouth and at the same time your mind's going, oh man, I shouldn't have said that. Wait a minute, can you can't you can't take it back. It's too late. It just everything. And then you know, a lot of times it happens with those that are closest to you, like like your husband or your wife, and you see it on their face. Oh man, I should have never said that. And you wish you know I could just give me those words back, but 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 you can't, can you? Can't take them back. And that's when you know you're not just wanting the God of the second chance. You want the wife or the husband of the second chance too. You're like, I'm sorry, that was a dumb thing to say. The God of the second chance. You know, when I'm putting my messages together, I'm typing them out, you know, I write my ideas. I do most of it, uh, you know, 99% on the computer. You know, when I make a mistake, there's a button on my keyboard. Maybe you're familiar with the button. It's the delete button. And I make a mistake, all I have to do is go, it's like it never was there. I mean, if I make a mistake in the paragraph form, I just have to take this and click this and highlight the whole thing. And when one button, bam, it's gone. Don't you wish life had a delete button? Where there are segments of your life that you could just, dit, 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 dit. oh, I don't know, I know what you're talking about. Didn't happen. But life doesn't come with a delete button, doesn't it? Does it? If life were only that simple and clean, but it's not. You know, the delete button, there isn't one for life, but let's rephrase the question then. If there isn't a delete button for life, then, well, how about this question? You know, maybe some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, Ed, I've got some things in my life that I wish I could delete, I wish I could undo, and I'm even suffering the consequences of things right now that, hey, I can't undo it. Uh, you know, and, and really with life, you know, you can't, you can't change your past any more than you can unscramble an egg. It's the way it is. But here, how about this question? Pastor, with the things in my life that I wish I could delete, can I be forgiven for them? Is there forgiveness for me? Do you, do, you, do you proclaim to me a God of a second chance? Will God give me a second chance? Will he give me, give me an opportunity to make things right? Will he give me an opportunity to, well, to have the guilt and the shame and, and everything I've been carrying around my whole life? Will he give me a chance to have that removed? Can I get a second chance? And the answer to that is yes. Yes. All the mistakes that we made, while we can't undo the mistakes, you know what we can do? We can learn from them. Not only our mistakes, but the mistakes of others. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, it says, All these events happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at a time when this age is drawing to a close. You know, it's not just your mistake or your example. We all learn by example, but you know, it doesn't have to be our own. We can learn from others as well. The Bible is filled with men and women that are just like you and me who had many great times and a few mistakes along the way, but the one constant between it all is the faithfulness of the grace of God and his love and forgiveness. According to the Bible, I can be forgiven for the wrongs that I've done. I can get a second chance in life. And maybe some of you, maybe some of you are here today. Some of you are listening in on the radio. 
Some of you are listening in on the internet or downstairs on one of the TVs. You need a second chance today. Your marriage is falling apart. Your life is in tatters. You've made some very wrong decisions that have led you down a path that you're just not happy with. Maybe you find yourself addicted to drugs or you're a drunk and an alcoholic. Maybe you're involved in a very sexually immoral lifestyle or you're in a gang. Maybe you're doing none of these things. But when you look at life, you don't like the course of your life is taking. And you're saying, you know, it's too late. Look how far I've gone. It's too late for change. I'm here to tell you today, it's not too late to change. That God is ready and willing to give you another chance. It's true. You can change. You can change. But you can't do it on your own. You can't just resolve to make changes in your life. Only God can bring about the change that you're looking for. A true relationship with your creator. And it really doesn't matter uh, what stage of life you're in. You know, whether you would look at your life and go, man, I got a lot of things that I'm, I'm ashamed of. I got a lot of things that I don't like about my past. I mean, I wish I could delete, delete, I mean, whole years of my life. Or you could be someone today that would consider themselves a very good, moral person, a church-going person, a person that loves to do good deeds, a, a person that generally, as people describe your life, you go, you know, that's a good person. Maybe even a religious person. Well, that, if you recall, is what we learned in our last study together in chapter 3. It was all about this encounter between a man by the name of Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, the Bible says, with serious questions on his heart that reflected the emptiness that was in his life. Imagine that. Nicodemus was a religious man. Today we would look at Nicodemus and respect him. Today we would look at a man like that and and listen to him and follow his teachings. This was a man that knew the Bible but didn't know the God of the Bible. This was a man that was following his religious traditions and very well studied and a good, upright, moral man, but still empty inside because he was disconnected. He was disconnected. There was an emptiness. And he comes to Jesus with questions. He comes at night. That's why we could title that message, Nick at Night, right? (laughs) Not going to get too much mileage on that anymore either, but I'm going to... Stretch it out as long as I can. (laughs) Nicodemus comes with these questions, and you know what the answer, the sum of the answer of everything that Jesus said is straight up in verse 3 of chapter 3. He just gives it to him straight. The very first thing out of Jesus' mouth when this religious ruler comes with questions is, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And, And you know, the text doesn't, the text doesn't really reflect this, but I wonder... Because the the scene of this just before they meet is when Jesus went through the temple overturning the tables, getting rid of all the people taking advantage. You know, the the temple would become a place where people were taken advantage of, being ripped off in God's name. And Jesus, he, he made, it says when he saw it, he made a whip of cords, went through and made the wrong right. He just took care of it. And while the text doesn't say it, I wonder, I wonder if Nicodemus was looking at that and seeing the boldness and the courage in Jesus and recognize, you know, I think Messiah's here. I think, I think Messiah has come and taken care of business, but I wonder if in, the, in his heart of hearts he was thinking something along the lines, you know, I see Jesus doing this, and I've been wanting to do this for years. And he just hadn't had the courage to get rid of the religious establishment 
in order to open up the avenue of true worship of God. We don't know for sure, but we do know that what he saw pricked his heart, brought him to Jesus, and Jesus answered his questions. There is no other way to be saved. You can't just be a religious, church-going person and expect to be saved. You must be born again. The problem with the phrase born again is it's become so overused that it's become misunderstood. You know, they did a survey recently of of those that live in the United States, and most Americans say they've been born again. Every time a poll goes out, most people say in the United States, I'm born again. And even half of those that are polled would say that they're truly living for God, born again. That they believe the Bible is accurate. 98% of those that say they're born again say their faith is very important to them compared to 52% of those um, that say they're not born again. So, I, I mean, that, that's good. And yet, they found that like 28% of those that say they're born again said that they believe Jesus sinned, just like everyone else. Those that say they're born again, one-third of them who claim to be born again, believe and say that, they, that a, if a person is good enough, if a person's good enough, they can earn their way and a place, they can work for and earn a place into heaven. And that's just not what Jesus taught. You can't be good enough. The Bible is over and over going, telling us where we are not good enough. And and you can't earn your way into heaven. You can't make it on the religious back of your mom or your grandmother or a a church that you were born into and baptized into and confirmation and and all the way to the end. We even have last rites. Let me tell you, you can go through all of the rites of any religious organization, anything that you learn here, anywhere. But if you're not born again, you're not making it. You must be born again, Jesus said. You must be. There's no other way around it. And so, being born again, what is the root and what does it look like? Well, pick up with me where we left off now in John chapter 3, verse 16. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that... And you guys are reading the rest of it. You don't even need to look in your Bible, do you? It's in your head. You can't help but finish it off. And you can do it because of the 32,000 verses in the Bible, like most of the world knows this verse. Like you may know three or four or five or ten verses, and I know one of them is John 3.16. It's all over the place. It's the gospel in a nutshell. I mean, it's the simplicity of the love of God, the calamity of man, and the hope of a Savior all in one verse. Because God did love the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting Life. What beauty and majesty is in this verse. One of the most memorized, quoted, printed, popular verse in the Bible, hands down. And this verse highlights the very essence of relationship with God. It's the gospel message, as I said, in a nutshell. And if you're a note taker, let me give you the six things this verse tells us about the gospel. Six things. You want to learn these things because this is how you'll explain to someone the love of God. And what it actually looks out, looks like. And why someone should be saved. The first one, number one, is the source of salvation. It's God. God initiates salvation. It says that God loved. It starts with him. Secondly, we learn the seriousness of our own sin. That God moved to save because he loves. We need to be saved. Thirdly, we have the object of salvation. God loves the world, believer and unbeliever alike. Jew and Gentile, anyone that's breathing today, God loves them. God loves the world. Fourthly, we have the demonstration of salvation. God's love moved him to send. 
sacrifice his own son. Fifthly, we have the offer of salvation. God's love goes out to all so that all can be saved. Not everyone is saved, but all can be saved. And then finally, the requirement of salvation. That salvation is given, but it must be received. So in case you miss them, the source, the seriousness, the object, the demonstration, the offer, and the requirement. You know, some people see God as this angry, vengeful, distant deity that if you ever connect with him, he's just going to ruin your life and make you miserable. Not true. God is neither distant nor angry. He loves you. Do you know the Bible declares the love of God? Well, God loves you more than any person has ever loved you. To the depth of you've experienced true love, God loves you more. His love is never-ending and unceasing. He loves you so much that he proved it by sacrificing his own son in your place at your most worst condition. And he extends to you the gift of salvation, a relationship with God that your sins might be forgiven today. The only thing left to do is to accept the gift. Accept the gift. I started thinking about gifts, and it's very interesting because generally women and men approach gifts differently. Like when a, when a lady gets a gift and it's nicely wrapped in beautiful shiny paper with a nice beautiful elaborate bow and a nice card with glitter on it and everything, just get a cup of coffee and wait a while, okay? So sit down because it's going to take her some time to open that gift. First off, she sees the bow. She says, oh, this is so beautiful. I need to take it off nice and carefully and move it over here. I can use this again. Oh, there's a card. There's a card. There's a card. Open up the card. Oh, this is wonderful. Thank you so much for the card. This is great. Then the paper. You know what? We can always reuse the paper, especially as pretty as this is. So it's nice and careful and watch the, oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. Does anybody have a knife? Zach, don't, can you wait? Let's just wait. And then finally you're just like, come on. Oh, all the kids are jumping and trying to rip the paper, just open the gift. Guys, hey, ribbons, tape, paper, they're all obstacles to get to the goal. <laughs> Let's just open it up, man, and find out. Card? There's a card? Where's a card? What you, you gave me a gift. I don't need a card. I know it's from you. What do you need to save your money? I don't need a card. <laughs> Bows? What am I going to do with a bow? Just, man, put it in a bag and hand it to me. I'm cool. <laughs> I don't need to wrap it up. No fancy paper. Just... Man, just take me to the store and let me pick something out. I'm all right with that too, man. It's like, all right, I've been that way my whole life. Now, of course, those are generalities, but it's interesting how different people respond to gifts very differently. And so it doesn't matter how you respond to gifts. God is offering you the gift of salvation today. Hey, open it up and enjoy what God has done for you. Receive the forgiveness of your sins, the removal of shame and guilt, the fullness of a relationship with him. Do it, do it. You see, in verse 17 it says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, God came to save, not to condemn. It's a very important distinction that you need to make because when we begin to think about the mistakes that we've made in life, the sins that we've committed, the hurtful things we've said, all and on, it does elicit an emotional response, and the emotional response is probably not very good. You feel bad about it. Peter even described a part of his life where he's ashamed of his past, and 
I don't know about you, but there's many, many episodes in my life that I'm very much ashamed of, and just thinking about them is not a good thought for me. You see, God didn't come to condemn you and to bring all your past up against you and to use it in such a way where you just quit and say, forget about it, I'll never make it. But instead, he came to save. He came into the world that you might be saved, not condemned. You know, we think of the word condemned, and we, you know, we use that word to, we refer to houses that get condemned. You know, that house is under condemnation. And what that means is, it's gone. It's done. It's uninhabitable. We got to start over. Or we think of condemned when it relates to someone that commits a crime. And they're condemned to a life sentence in prison. Or they're condemned to losing their life because they took a life. And you know, that condemnation doesn't come from the Lord in your life spiritually. Spiritually, you are not condemned. Spiritually, there is forgiveness for you. Why? Because we serve the God of the second chance. And if you hear my voice right now, and you're breathing, and you can know, you can know that God is ready to act in your life if you will just turn away from your sin and come to him. There's no condemnation. Because notice verse 18 now. He who believes in him is not condemned. That's your way out. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. It's that simple. Do you believe? No condemnation. Do you refuse to believe? You're condemned. There is no hope for you if you live in refusal to accept God and his offer of salvation. There's no hope for you. The only hope is for you to turn away from your own ways and accept him by faith. This is the condemnation, verse 19. That light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Here's the deal. You meet a lot of people that are really mad at God, very angry with God, very just upset with Jesus, and you can't put your finger on it. You say, I don't understand. And sometimes it's from hurt and pain and stuff. But Jesus says this, people hate the light because they love the darkness. People hate the light because they love the darkness. That's the essence of every rejection of Jesus. People reject Jesus because they love the darkness. You go, wait a minute, I don't see Jesus in there. Well, later on in our study in the Gospel of John, you're going to see that Jesus claims to be, he says, he says very matter-of-factly, I am the light of the world. So a lot of times you're sharing with people and they're wrestling with things and they're dealing with things and you're trying to put your finger on it. Just understand, you're dealing with a spiritual thing, not just a practical thing. It's a spiritual thing. That God, he's sent Jesus into the world to shed light in a dark world and people choose darkness rather than light which is always sad. But verse 21 is a great way that we end this section as we will today. Here's the but. It's such a beautiful but as it changes. You know, people, people are loving the darkness. They don't come to the light because they're hiding things. They think they're hiding things, but it really not. God sees all. But he who does the truth comes to the light. You embrace the light. You want to live a life of transparency. You live a life where I have nothing to hide. Check out my phone. Check out my iPad. Check out my computer. I have nothing to hide. Why? Because you live in the light. Thank you for joining us today as we study through the Bible and learn of God's abounding grace. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. 
Are you interested in hearing this again? It's easy to do when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or through our church app. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that to your mobile device. We're really excited about this month's offer. It's a book written by Chuck Smith. It's Love, The More Excellent Way. We say and sing that love makes the world go around, that love is the answer, and all you need is love. But what is love, really? And why is it so hard for so many to find? That and more is explored in Love, The More Excellent Way. And we'll send it your way with a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, we're at 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our online store at calvaryco.store. And thank you for your support. We rely on the support of our listeners to bring the teaching of God's Word to stations like this every day. We're constantly hearing from folks all over the world that are being blessed, and your gifts help to make that possible. You can donate through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. How has Abounding Grace blessed you? We want to hear. And it's easy to share your thoughts and prayer requests at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Scroll down to the bottom of our homepage and connect with us. We'll return to the Gospel of John next time out on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.